0: Well, if you'd like to grab a Bible on the seats around you and turn to Isaiah chapter 6, we'll be reading from there. Let's hear from God's Word. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. He said, Go and tell this people. Be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused. Make their ears dull and close their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. Then I said, "'For how long, Lord?' And he answered, "'Until the cities lie ruined and without inhabitant, "'until the houses are left deserted and the fields ruined and ravaged, "'until the Lord has sent everyone far away "'and the land is utterly forsaken.'" And though a tenth remains in the land, it will be again laid waste. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps, where they are cut down, so the holy seed will be the stump in the land.
1: Thanks Adele. Uh, Good morning. My name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great that you can join us. Uh, For church this Sunday. If you're new or visiting, I'm really glad that you joined us. We really love to welcome you. Please stick around for a a cup of coffee or tea. Uh, We do serve tea um, uh, in the plaza afterwards uh, and something to eat. We'd love to uh, say good day and meet you over that. Um, Now, this is our 10th Vision Sunday. I don't know if you've known that. Um, I've done this 10 times. Uh, 10 times we've gone, uh, gathered together for one Sunday, and we've uh, set our sights on what God might do through us as a church. Um, and if you've been here all 10 times, uh, I think I'm the only one who would have been, um, you might be wondering, why bother? Why are we doing this again? Um... I'm more of a, I'm not a vision kind of guy, I'm more of a vibe kind of guy, if you work with me you know that. Um, I loved uh, in the early 90s working in a corporate setting, uh, these demotivation posters came out, you remember the motivation posters where it was like a beautiful picture and a, a little tagline to kind of really energise you for the day. I love the demotivation ones, the ironic ones, so motivation, if a pretty poster and a cute saying are all it takes to motivate you, you probably have a very easy job, the kind robots will be doing very soon. That's, that's, that, that's kind of my vibe, right? I'm, I'm, I, I don't love corporate vision kind of stuff. Um, why are we bothering with a Sunday like this? Uh, why are we bothering to push ourselves further? Why bother going further with the gospel? Why bother going further in our knowledge and love of God? Why bother going further in our service of God and his people? I mean, you might be sitting there and there might be this little thought in the back of your mind... Uh, Do we have to be so zealous about this? Why can't we just chill for a bit? I mean, we've welcomed more than 100 people into our church in the last 12 months. I'm struggling to remember everyone's name. And maybe you're thinking, I don't have time to see all my friends on a Sunday morning anymore. Uh, We're planning a new congregation in the Hutt Valley. Uh, We've just changed our night church venue so that we might be in a better position to reach uh, more students. And do you think to yourself sometimes, can we just calm down a bit? Can we just be a little bit more relaxed about things? Uh, You might have heard me talk about uh, our church is not a cruise ship for passengers, uh, dedicated to our own comforts as we float our way to heaven. No, we're more like a lifeboat full of rescue workers who are dedicated to uh, reaching the lost, who are drowning in their sin. And do you ever sit there and hear me say that and go, really? Can't we just get church done on a Sunday and then head to the beach? I mean, the weather's been so good recently. Can't we just be a little bit more low-key about things? Uh, Do we even need a vision? Do we need to be intentional? Do we need to keep pushing things further? I mean, our theme for the year is going further. Uh, But can't it be like gone far enough? Can't our vision for the year be get comfortable? Why is this so important for us to do? Well, I think the answer is in this passage. And in this passage, we get a vision of God. It's a vision that if we're willing to see it, It will transform us. It's a vision that reveals to us what it is that God wants us to do as his people. So come with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Now, Isaiah, he was a Jewish prophet 800 years before Jesus. And he was given this vision. And there's uh, four vitally important truths here in this vision. Truths that go to the absolute heart of, of who God is and what God is on about. At first, we see God gives Isaiah a vision of his holiness of his holiness i'll, I'll walk through uh, the first section with me uh, verse one uh, verse one in the king that sorry in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord uh, now we know from history that this is 70 uh, 740 bc uh, king uzziah he'd been on the throne for a long time he'd been on the throne for 52 years and so they're kind of at an, an end of an era a great king has died. The whole country is in turmoil and, and the people must be wondering, what's going to happen? Well, verse 1, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. So in this time of turmoil, God gives Isaiah a vision of himself to teach him something really important. Verse 1, I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on a throne. It's a vision of God as the king, glorious and splendid in his heavenly throne room, seated on his heavenly throne, seated seated above all the chaos. You see, as the earthly kings come and go, as there's political upheaval and uncertainty, there is one king who remains. There is one king who reigns on high over all the universe in absolute and total unqualified power. And his plans are the plans that have been rolled out in history. They will not be thwarted. And this vision Isaiah has of God, it is huge. The train of his robe filled the temple, it says. Even as God is sitting down on his heavenly throne, uh, the 80 foot high temple, one of the biggest buildings in the known world of the time, it is filled with the train of his cloak. Uh, God is so big that even our greatest buildings can't possibly contain him but God here is not alone. Verse two, above him were seraphim. Uh, Now the word seraphim means burning ones. Uh, These are kind of some sort of supernatural angels uh, who are sort of on fire, uh, presumably from being in the presence of the holy God who is a consuming fire in his holiness. And so imagine these creatures and there are clearly loads of them and the sky is full of them. This army of burning creatures of seraphim hovering in the air above the throne, each with six wings, it says. With two wings, they cover their faces. Uh, It's Hebrew for a a sign of humility. You see, when you stand before a great one, uh, you bow. You avert your eyes. You don't stare. And we teach our children that, don't we? Uh, Don't stare at them. If His Majesty the King was to walk into the room, we would notice, but we would try hard not to stare. you avert your eyes with humility? With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet. Uh, That's a Hebrew way of showing shame. You see, even these creatures who are on fire with the holiness of God, they feel ashamed in His presence. The intensity of his purity, of his goodness, it it causes them to feel shame and they cover their feet. And with two wings, that is, they are flying. They are hovering in the air like a, a mass army of heaven, ready to do whatever the king commands. Now, this picture here, it is terrifying. It is overwhelming. These seraphim here, they're not floating quietly there. The seraphim, verse 3, they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Now, you might have heard those words before. Um, you might have sung those words before. Uh, holy, 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 it's just a, a Hebrew way of saying the holiest, the most holy one. There is no one as holy as this one. Uh, and the word holy, it, it means special, set apart. And in this particular case, morally special and pure. So in other words, they're saying, God, there is none like you. You are uniquely holy. And what else they say? They say the whole earth is full of his glory. That is, you can look anywhere on earth and you can see clues to the glory of God, the sheer weightiness of God's character and his goodness. So you can look at the oceans and you can look at the mountains and you can look at the majestic creatures or, or the complexity of the weather and you can look at cities teeming with people and art and culture and technology and everywhere you look, there are clues to the glory of God, to the greatness of And the goodness of the living God who made it all. And in this scene, in this heavenly throne room, it's not quiet. It is not a gently spoken chorus. Look at verse 4. Verse 4: At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. As Isaiah is there in this vision, the whole place is shaking like an earthquake vibrating with the volume of this army of seraphim, all praising God for his holiness. Now, I know the Foo Fighters won last night. Did anyone go? Anyone only up to... No. I think there were some people who went and they're not here this morning. Um, I don't go to a lot of concerts either, so maybe we can be friends. I don't go to concerts either, really. But I did go to one particularly memorable one in 2003. Uh, it was Coldplay in Sydney. You can see Adele smirking already. She knows where this is going. Um it was Coldplay in Sydney. Adele and I were not together at that point and she was pretty keen for that to remain the, way, remain the case. Uh, so we, but we ended up on this accidental date. Uh, I had organised for a group of friends to go see Coldplay uh, in Sydney and it just so happened that everyone else couldn't make it, just Adele and I. Um, I was stoked. Um, she was very suspicious. She refused to let me pay for dinner. Um, so you're kind of catching what the, the vibe of what was going on. Anyway, uh, I remember that, that, that concert for that reason, but I also remember it for another reason. I remember it was memorable because of how loud it was. 10,000 people crammed into this venue, screaming at the big, over, uh, the big opening set. The volume was just so overwhelming. We were in these temporary stands, and I remember them moving under my feet as people stomped and cheered, Here in this vision, the temple itself is shaking. It is shaking for the volume of the praise of the one who sits on the throne. And for Isaiah the prophet, this is utterly overwhelming. He has seen a vision of the amazing holiness of God, he's been brought into his glorious presence. And you know what? That song, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. Do you have a song that you think you could sing all the time and you'd never get tired of it? Probably not. Uh, These seraphim, they do not get tired of singing this. If you flip to Revelation chapter 4 at the end of the New Testament, do you know what? The angels are still singing this song. Eight centuries later, they're still belting out the same chorus. God is so overwhelmingly wonderful. He is so delightful. He is so good. You never get tired of him. See, no one in heaven is bored wishing they were somewhere else, doing something else. Everyone there is so overwhelmed and amazed by God and his goodness and his holiness. He is unendingly captivating. Now, that's the first stage of the vision. uh, And this is the vision we need. This is the vision we need if we are going to go further with the good news of Jesus. This is the only vision that is big enough for us to carry us when times get hard. We need to begin here meeting with the living God to understand what he is like, to have a a grasp of his holiness and his goodness and his glory. Which means that whatever we do, wherever we go, whatever we say, we do it for the glory and the honour of this holy God. For he alone is worthy. For he alone is holy. Now, at this moment, Isaiah realizes something. Uh, he starts shaking in his sandals. At this moment, Isaiah immediately is overwhelmed by his sinfulness, his inadequacy. Verse 5, have a look with me. Verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. That's Isaiah, I am ruined. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Now, woe to me is kind of a religious language for saying, I'm stuffed. Uh, I'm lost. He says, I'm ruined. Now that I have comprehended the awesome holiness of God, my life has just collapsed in on itself. Now, as I hear, he's not a bad bloke. He'd be, you know, he'd be a great neighbor. He's a really good prophet. Uh, and yet even the best of us, he stands before the holiness of God and he just falls in a heap. You could be a CEO. You could be a professor. You could be a member of parliament. You could be an all black. You could be someone else that whenever you walk into the room, everyone treats you with deference and respect. You could have achieved so many great things that you have a whole alphabet after your name. But whoever you are, and whatever you've done, it makes no difference. You see, when we read the Bible, everyone who comes face to face with God has the same reaction. They all fall flat on their faces. They they, they collapse in ruin before him. They say, I have nothing. How could I possibly be near this God? He is so far beyond me. Isaiah here, he gives us a reason. He says. I'm a man of unclean lips. Now, what's he talking about here? Well, Isaiah, he's supposed to be a prophet. Uh, So he's supposed to be speaking God's word to God's people. Uh, But Isaiah, he knows that he is not up to that task. He knows that he's not up to that task because he knows that he is morally filthy. He knows that his motivations are all messed up. And so he's saying, how on earth could I speak for this incredibly holy God?" In fact, it's not just Isaiah who's the problem. He says, he says I live among a people of unclean lips. Isaiah is saying, I can't just go get another prophet, like a clean prophet, Lord. There aren't any. We're all filthy. And there's no one out there who can give me advice on how to clean myself up. There's no training course I can enroll in where I can fix myself up or I can improve myself. There is absolutely no hope, he says. Now, each of us, well. We're, we're, we're all filthy in different ways. Uh, Jesus talked about this in the Gospels. At one point uh, in the Gospels, Jesus does a bit of an x-ray of the human heart and uh, to give us a look inside, and what do we see? Matthew 15, we see that out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what defile a person. These are what make us unclean. Now, it's a bit of a list. Uh, I don't imagine that there's anyone in this room who's um, guilty of all those sins. And if you are, don't, don't put your hand up. That could be a bit awkward. Uh, but I can promise you this. There is no one in this room today, of all 200 of us, there is no one in this room who isn't guilty of at least one of them. Now, these are just examples of the many things that come out of our heart that make us filthy. And it's not just the occasional, uh, I had an envious moment once. No, it's more like I tend to be an envious person. It's not that I had an adulterous thought once or I had a greedy moment. No. These moments are symptoms of the deeper problem from within. These are the symptoms of a heart that is defiled by sin. Now, sure, we might be filthy in all sorts of different ways, but according to God's word, we're all filthy nonetheless. Now, I know we live in an age of, um, where we're supposed to think very highly of ourselves. Uh, we're told from the very uh, youngest of ages that we're perfect just the way we are. Um, we're told to have good self-esteem. Uh, you know, good self-esteem is good. It's part of being a strong and resilient human being. Uh, but you know the sign of the best self-esteem? It's where we can be honest with ourselves. And we can be honest with others when we've stuffed things up that's really good self-esteem and so jesus is saying don't believe the lies of the gospel of our age don't be deceived into thinking that you and god are mates because the truth is we're all filthy one way or another deep in our hearts and this is what isaiah realizes as he stands before the holy god and his life collapses in around him Oh my goodness, I am not awesome. You are God, which means that I'm in serious, serious trouble. You see, a clear vision of God's holiness leads to a realistic grasp of our own sinfulness. There are no circumstances where we are worthy on our own to stand in his presence. And if you haven't grasped that yet... Uh, if that hasn't rammed home to you at some point in your life, then you're not really ready to see the rest of the vision. The rest of the vision won't make sense to you if you haven't realized how holy God is and how unholy we are. But if you do understand this, if you do grasp this, if you realize that you are not worthy to stand in the presence of God, then you're ready for the next thing that God reveals here, a vision of his grace, of his kindness, of his mercy to you. Have a look with me at verse 6 and 7. Uh, verse 6, uh, then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand. Uh, now at this point Isaiah reckons I reckon he's I reckon he's going to die. I reckon he's, he's thinking my life is over. The sky is filled with these flaming creatures and not like Australian, like flaming creatures like um, actually creatures that are aflame uh, and the whole place is shaking like an earthquake uh, by their singing and then one of these incredible creatures that is on fire flies down and picks up a coal from the altar and flies straight at him and puts on his mouth, and he must have thought, I'm dead. Verse 7, with it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips, and here it is, your guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. What's going on? Well, the altar, where the coal has come from, it is the place where sacrifice for sin is made. And so by taking that burning coal, the seraphim is applying the sacrifice from the altar to the sin of Isaiah, to the sin that he's most conscious of at the moment, which is his sin of speech, his unclean lips. Now, the sacrifices that took place back in the day, the sacrifices of lamb and bulls and goats and grains, those sorts of things, they were illustrations that pointed forward to a greater sacrifice to come. They pointed forward to the death of Jesus for our sin on the cross, where Jesus swapped places with us. And there on that cross, Jesus was treated as though he were us. He was punished for our sins. He suffered for our shame and our pain and our hell. He suffered in our place. And he did it so that we wouldn't have to suffer it ourselves. If you want to know what's going on on the cross, Jesus was treated like we deserve... So that we could be treated like him. So we could be accepted as God's children. So we could be welcomed to be with his father in heaven. That is why he came. That's the self-sacrifice that Jesus made. And he made it because he loves us. Despite everything we've done and said, Jesus passionately and sacrificially loved us. And so what's going on here is it's saying, do you see that sacrifice? The sacrifice of Jesus, it is applied to your sins. It has been atoned for. Atoned for. It simply means it's been paid for. It's been made up for. I remember as a kid driving uh, across the Sydney Harbour Bridge, uh, the big coat hanger thing in the middle of Sydney, um, and you, you drive from the north to the south, and, and every time you crossed it, there would be a toll booth at the end, and you had to pay the $2 toll. Uh, and what my mum used to do was she'd pull up at the toll booth and she would give the toll collector not $2 but $4 dollars. And she would say, this is for us and for the car behind us. Uh, Now, we wouldn't know who they were. Uh, Just some random person behind us, some random act of kindness that my mum was doing. I think she thought it would bring good luck or something. Anyway, uh, but almost every time she did it, the toll collector couldn't believe what was going on. And the driver behind would be very confused and they'd always race up to see who it was in front that had paid the toll for them. Now, that's a tiny picture of something much greater, of what Jesus has done for you and me. In his immense kindness and love, in his mercy and his grace, he has paid the cost for all of our sin. The account has been covered. The debt is gone. So that we can be acceptable. So that we can stand in the presence of God. And how wonderful is that? To be freed from the guilt and shame And because of that, Isaiah is given this fresh vision and this fresh experience of God's grace. Of God's kindness to him. And so now he's ready. Now he's ready for what God has in store for him. And at last he gets a vision of his purpose. Uh, And the last verses of the chapter, Isaiah the prophet, he wants to serve. Uh, he's standing there before God, Uh, no one's bent his arm, no one's talked him into it, Uh, but because he's seen the holiness of God, he's seen the filth of his sin, and now he's experienced the goodness of God's grace, and look at what happens in verse 8, he says, then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Isaiah overhears God speaking. God is looking for a messenger. Who can we send to the people to tell them the message that they need to hear? Who will go to the people of Israel? Who will go to the people of Wellington, to the Hutt Valley? Uh, Who will go to the people of the nation of New Zealand to reach those people with the, the message they need to hear? Because Isaiah has been so overwhelmed by God's grace. When he hears this, he puts his hand up. And he says to God, here I am, send me, I am at your disposal. Now this man, just moments before he was saying, woe to me, I am ruined. And now because he knows what God has done for him, he's saying, could I do? Could you use me? And what does God say? Does God say, get away from me, you filthy prophet. Go get me a clean one. Not at all. God says, verse 9, go and tell this people. God says, you'll do. Absolutely, you'll do. Go and tell the people my message. Uh, And God gives him the message there in verses 9 and 10. It's a message of judgment. That's clear. But it's also a message, verse 13, of a holy seed the Holy Seed. It's actually a title for Jesus. There is wrath and judgment to come, but there is a Savior called Jesus and the world needs to know. You see, the sad reality is that all around here, in, in the streets and the suburbs, there are thousands upon thousands of people who have never heard of the good news of Jesus. They've never heard they think church and Christianity is just full of religious nonsense. And they have absolutely no idea. No idea of the holiness of God. No idea of the peril of sinful, filthy people standing before him. No idea of the mercy that God has shown them through the loving sacrifice of Jesus. They've got no idea. So they need someone to tell them. and that is why we are here that is why God has put us here that is what our lives are about This is why—that that is what our life is for reaching the lost with the good news of Jesus otherwise we may as well, God may as well just take us back up to heaven but he hasn't done that he has left us with work to do he's left us to go further with the opportunities that he has given us until he comes again And so as we finish, uh, can I say to you, if you don't feel like going further, if you're thinking to yourself, uh, well, I'm not going to get too involved this year. I might just watch, see how it goes. If that's where you're at, then it, it, it must be because you're not where Isaiah ended up. You haven't seen what Isaiah has seen. See, Isaiah is leaping out of his seat, calling out, here I am, send me. If you're not in that place, it's because you haven't yet understood how amazing God's grace is. And if you don't yet understand how amazing God's grace is, then it must be because you don't understand how sinful you are. And if you don't understand how sinful you are, then you really haven't caught how absolutely and unbelievably holy God is you see it all begins with him it all begins with him once you see how holy God is then you'll realize how sinful you are and once you realize how sinful you are then you will realize how wonderful and amazing it is to be saved how great is his grace and when you realize that when you realize how incredible it is to be welcomed by God into his family well then you will put your hand up and say well here I am send me After all you've done for me, God, after this great news that I have, that I can be saved and be part of your family, I just, others need to hear it. What can I do, Lord? As the person I am with the opportunities you've given me, how can I go further to see this wonderful news of Jesus transform more and more and more people? Uh, There was a guy over 100 years ago, his name was C.T. Studd. Uh, he was born into wealth and privilege. Uh, he went to Cambridge uh, in 1882 and 1883. He played cricket for England. Uh, if you care about cricket at all, he played, in the very, he played in the series that started the ashes between Australia and England. Uh, he was an all-rounder, considered one of the best players of his generation. Uh, you can see that his life of privilege and wealth and comfort and ease was going to roll out before him. But in 1885... At the age of 23, his father died. And he retired from cricket at 23. And what he did was he gave away his entire inheritance, which was a small fortune, which would have been millions of dollars in today's money. And you know what he did? He joined Hudson Taylor as a missionary to China. Went to the other side of the world, where no one knew him. No one cared at all about him. But he went there to tell them of the good news of Jesus. And here's how Studd explained it in his own words. He said, Formerly I had as much love for cricket as any man could have. But when the Lord Jesus came into my heart, I found I had something infinitely better. My heart was no longer in the game. I wanted to win souls for the Lord." I knew that cricket would not last, and honor would not last. And nothing in the world would last, but it was worthwhile living for the world to come. CT. Studd knew that when you died, it didn't matter at all how much you earned, it didn't matter what degree you had, it didn't matter who you worked for or what your title was. None of that mattered. The only thing that mattered were the souls that were one for Jesus. They will be with us for eternity. That's what mattered about life. That's what matters about life. That's why we're here for. Now, you might not be like C.T. Stud heading off as a missionary to China. Uh, You might not even later on this year be heading to the Hutt Valley to help us plant a new congregation. But God has made you. And he's made me. And he's put you where you are. And he has given you the good news of Jesus. He has set before you so many opportunities to serve him and his people. So many opportunities for you to grow in maturity uh, as you uh, become more and more like Jesus. So many opportunities to reach and save the lost. So together with this vision of God's holiness, with this realization of his abundant and amazing grace, It's our challenge and our desire to go further. To go further for his kingdom. To go further for the lost. To go further for his glory and honor and praise. So, will you pray with me as we ask for God's help to do this? Heavenly Father, we come to you asking for you to use us. Lord, we're overwhelmed by your grace because we're conscious of our sinfulness and we're amazed by your holiness. Lord, help us to always remember who you are and who we are. Help us to always be mindful of your wonderful kindness to us. And so, Lord, we ask that you will use us Lord, we say, here I am. Send me. Use us for your glory and for your honor and for your kingdom. And we ask this for the glory of Jesus and the salvation of many. And we pray it all in his name. Amen. Uh, If the musos want to come up... um, Whenever we do anything as a church, uh, we do not do it for our own glory. We do not do it to make ourselves feel better. We don't do it uh, for our own good name and reputation. Uh, but it is all for the glory of Christ. It is all for his glory so that he might be known, so that he might be worshipped and honoured and praised. And we're going to remind ourselves of this as we cast our mind to our vision Uh, that we do it for the glory of Jesus. So please stand as we sing this together, uh, as we sing all glory be to Christ.